Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, if you don't know who I am, maybe uh, you've never met me before, maybe you're new to our online uh, community here. My name is Jeff, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Orchard, specifically the location pastor at our uh, brand new campus in Marion County in Ocala. And uh, uh, always uh, glad to be able to hang out with you guys on this platform. And uh, if you haven't said anything yet to the hosts that are hosting either on Facebook or on our uh, live stream page, uh, take a second and do that. Let them know you're there. They'd love to know you're there, and maybe if you have questions or comments along the way, they would be happy to engage in those as well. So, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you guys remember doing this? If you grew up in church uh, as a kid, you probably remember doing something like this. And uh, yeah, I'll just kind of do it like this so you can see it. So you put your hands together kind of like this, right? And you would say something along these lines. This is the church, or here is the church. And you'd raise your fingers. This is the steeple, right? And you can't really do it, but you would have the, finger, the thumbs and front, you'd say, open the doors, and then what was it said? See all the people. And I know that's kind of simple and maybe kind of silly, but I do think that as I think back on that simple little exercise we used to do in Sunday school as a kid, that there's something beautiful about the idea expressed. The idea was that as you open the church building doors, you would see the church itself worshiping together being with one another. And the truth is, the more I've lived, the longer I've been in ministry, the longer I've just lived life in this world, uh, we need other people. People, other people are uh, important and a big deal to our lives. And in fact, as I was thinking about this message today and this final week of this series we've been in in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, I was reading a little bit about this need for each other, the need we have for other people. And I stumbled across some research that's being done, a ton of research that's happening related to the issue in our world, specifically in our culture here in America, related to loneliness. Loneliness has been something that maybe we're, we've been aware of, maybe we've even declared ourselves lonely, but it's something largely that has been overlooked, right? It's not one of those things that we just kind of buy into uh, as something that is uh, long-term, but maybe, maybe we've even felt like this is just kind of a temporary thing. Or maybe it was something that you really wanted. You, you kind of like being alone. You've even classified yourself as a loner. But the truth is that according to some recent research, specifically done by Cigna Insurance in 2020, loneliness is becoming a major issue in our culture. In a recent study by Cigna, uh, loneliness is on the rise, and uh, it is creating, uh, maybe this is why an insurance group is doing this, major psychological or mental and physical health issues for thousands, maybe even millions of people particularly based on what they found. They created this loneliness index, this kind of scale to kind of place you on that, uh, the spectrum of where you are when it comes to being lonely. And alarmingly, this is one of the first things they found. 61% of Americans claim to be sometimes or always lonely. 61%. And that's a 7% increase from just a year earlier in 2019. Then when you start breaking it down by demographics, it becomes even more startling because Gen Z and millennials are the ones that seem to be suffering most in this, uh, this realm of loneliness. 79% of Gen Zs say they are extremely lonely and 71% of millennials. Now, when you think about that, that 
that maybe is something you've never really considered even for yourself. But maybe as you start thinking through and thinking about maybe days or moments or maybe seasons in your life, you would say, yeah, you know, I've dealt with loneliness or I've experienced that kind of thing before. We don't have time to dig into all the research, all the reasons, everything they've come up with, all the, the, the elements that have led to that kind of, uh, those kind of numbers. But uh, just on a wide scale, they, they say everything from our use of technology to our, our uh, time spent on social media have certainly uh, amped up those numbers, have increased that. Now, why are we sharing all that? Well, because today we're going to look at, in these closing verses, this idea of one another and being together and why we need each other. Like the church where you open the doors and don't see a building empty, but a church filled with people worshiping and loving one another. Uh, As we reach the end of this chapter, we find ourselves in these closing verses and a very clear command. Peter wasn't the first to give this command, but he is certainly echoing that command and making certain that we don't miss it. He's writing to Christians. He's been writing to Christians, believers, since the beginning of this chapter and throughout this book. Uh, But we've learned some things as Christians. I I hope we have from our series, but we learned some things as we've read this chapter. First of all, he made certain that we understood that we are God's children. We are in exile. We're dispersed and scattered, but we are God's children, and he is with us. And that led us to the understanding that we have hope. Even in exile, we have hope. It may seem bleak at times. It may seem hopeless at times, but there is a living hope that guards us and protects us and leads us forward in the journey that we're on called life. And then last week, if you were with us, he said that if we understand who we are, uh, God's children, and we understand the hope we have, then we should begin thinking about how we live our lives, specifically living our lives differently, or the word we used last week was holy. Be holy because I am holy is what Peter said, not speaking of himself, but obviously of God. So what what are we talking about today then in these final verses is really the summation of how all those things lead us to how we live those things out in our life with each other and then ultimately the world around us. So how do we do that? And I believe that what we find when he starts speaking of this to us, this idea of one another or loving one another, that we're going to find that the best way, the right way to do that is in community. And maybe for us, the simplest answer to that is as the church. So we just heard the verses in the bumper, so we're not going to read them back again, but I do want us to walk back through them, and I want to share three ideas with you today that will lead us maybe to some practical things you and I can do to really flesh out this idea of loving one another and maybe address some of the things that we're experiencing personally or we see around us uh, dealing with this issue of being isolated or alone or feeling lonely. So let's look back and see. I want to share these three things with you very quickly uh, and then give you some time to really think through those things today about where your life is and how you are loving others as well. So first of all, I want you to see today this, that as we read starting in verse 22, that Peter reminds us that because we've received more grace or have more grace, the result of that is we should have more love. Let me read verse 22 again for you. It says, since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. 
this is a, there's a lot packed in this verse and it's so important. So I don't want you to miss this. I love the way the message interprets the first half of this verse. Uh, we just read, since you've purified yourselves by your obedience, your obedience to the truth, the message says it this way. And I think it's so, uh, it, it resonates with me. And this is what it says. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, in other words, now that you've experienced life change, now that you have turned from your sins and turned to Christ, now that you believe the truth, that's the beginning. What is that truth? Maybe today you're asking that question because you're just kind of uh, jumping in with us here. And that truth is simple, that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, was buried, and then rose again three days later. We are saved by grace through faith, faith uh, in that truth, in the word of God, in what Jesus did for us, but by grace, he forgives our sins and he makes us brand new. That is a gift that he gives to us. We don't deserve grace and yet he offers grace. We didn't uh, earn grace and yet he freely gives grace. And he does that for us because we have believed the truth, because we have turned to him. Now that we've cleaned up our lives by following the truth, now that you're following Jesus, here's some things that should begin marking your life, some things that should begin identifying you as a person who has experienced the grace of Jesus, given by him through his love, now causes us to love like him, those who are around us. You may even make it even more plain by saying the evidence of his grace in your life or in my life is our love for others. Jesus first gave this command in John chapter 13. He called it a new command because it was a radical idea. And in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says this, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. By this, they will know your life has been cleaned up, that you've turned to me, that grace has been applied. You, you can play that out however you want to do it. But he says this, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's what Peter is really describing here. As we read on in that verse, he says, so that you show sincere brotherly love. It's a genuine, honest, not fake, not put on, but a genuine love for one another. And this love comes from this new heart that's now in us, that love, uh, that, that allows that love for us uh, to then begin to be shown in a very specific way. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. A pure heart meaning that now we have a love for others that's not conditional. That's a Christ-like love. No prerequisites, no prejudices. As we grow in grace, our love grows. It's kind of simple, and yet it's kind of profound for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. In fact, to make certain you get this, he uses two different Greek words to make sure we understand the power of this love. You know, we just kind of have one word for love. It kind of washes over everything from puppies to grandma and everything in between. And so sometimes we, we misunderstand this. He speaks, first of all, of that brotherly love that is shown uh, sincerely to others. And that is that word, uh, phileo, which literally means we, brotherly love or love for others. It's a, a love that we show outward to them. But then he switches and speaks of a pure heart that loves one another constantly. And that word is the word agape. And that word literally speaks of that unconditional, Christ-like, God-like love. 
And so he tells us that as we begin to grow in grace, the result is that as we have more love, we love others and we begin to love them more and more like Jesus did. Well, how is that possible? Let me give you a second thing, and that is this. More love is a result of that new birth, that new birth that takes place. Look with me again at verse 23. He says, because you have been born again, love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then he kind of pauses there for a second and jumps into a text from the Old Testament speaking of the power of God's word. And he says, all flesh is like grass and all its, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, literally giving us this idea of the power of God's word. So how do we gain more love as a result of our new birth? How is that possible? He literally says in verse 23, it's because we have been born again. The things that once divided you uh, from others, those are now gone. In Christ, we even have this imagery, particularly in the body of Christ, of being brothers and sisters, of being family connected together through the love of Christ, through the grace of Christ in our life. As different as we may be, as divided as we may have been, uh, we are all equal in Christ. Our new birth must allow us, should allow us to love all people genuinely like Christ. If there was one guy who probably could have written this, that understood it on a deep level, that understood it because of his own personal experience, it probably was Peter. Uh, there's a lot that we know about Peter because from the beginning of the gospel stories, Peter makes an appearance and he's kind of front and center. He was one of those leaders early on and then ultimately uh, became the, the head of the church there in Jerusalem, the, the main guy, and, and then writes to the church here in these letters. And we find him peppered throughout the, the New Testament in various ways. And, and, and Peter probably, if we understand his story, his journey, probably was one of those guys who struggled a lot with this whole idea of loving people like Jesus did. Let me kind of unpack that for just a second and tell you a little bit about his story. So maybe you even find in yourself some hope to be able to love other people that maybe you've struggled with uh, for one reason or another. Peter was a Jew by birth, but also by faith. And because of that, uh, when he became a follower of Jesus, a lot of his beliefs, a lot of his customs, a lot of his, the heritage of life was challenged by Jesus. And the challenge literally was that he was going to be called to share the gospel with the entire world. For Peter, that meant he had to have a change of mind, but he also had to have a change of heart because the Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people and that there was no reason for them to expand beyond that, that they were the protected ones. They were the chosen ones. Well, after Jesus has died and been buried and has resurrected and now ascended back to heaven, Peter begins preaching that gospel. And people are coming to Christ. The church is growing and his name is out there now. In Acts chapter 10, an event happens that really was going to solidify whether or not Jesus was going to take that command of love one another uh, from Jesus, if Peter was going to take that and really put that to heart and flesh that out for the rest of his life. 
We don't have time to read the story, so let me just kind of pull it together real quickly for you. There was a guy named Cornelius, uh, a Roman centurion, not a Jew. He was a religious man. He was a kind man, even to the Jews. And he found himself every day praying. One day as he's praying, he has this vision from God. And in that vision, God commends him for his kindness and tells him, you should find Peter and bring Peter to your house so that he can explain some things to you. As he wakes from his vision, he sends some men to where Peter is, or they believe Peter is, in the city of Joppa. The next day, we jump into the story where Peter is going up on the rooftop where he's staying around noontime to pray. As he's praying and, and uh, spending time there, he falls into a trance, the Bible says, and he sees a large sheet falling down over the entire world. As he sees the sheet falling, he sees on the sheet all these animals, unclean and clean animals, all these animals gathered together. And then God speaks and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Immediately, Peter pushes back because as a Jew, there were animals on that he could not eat. He would not eat and stay clean. And so he says, no, I can't do that. And so the vision happens again. As it happens again, God says to him again, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter again pushes back. Then it happens again and again and again, three more times. And then he wakes up. Almost immediately after he wakes up, there's a knock at the door. And the men from Cornelius have arrived and they asked Peter to go back. Peter's struggling. He's perplexed. What does this vision mean? And now this Roman centurion has called for me. What is going on? And God speaks to him and says, go with these men. You'll understand. You'll get this. You'll understand this. So Peter, the next day, travels back to his house, walks into a home filled with non-Jews, all these Gentiles. And Peter immediately says this to him. I find this fascinating. He says to them, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to associate with you guys. I'm not supposed to spend time with you guys because as a Jew, it's forbidden. But I had this vision and it's led me to understand that there is no one that is unclean, that all people uh, are loved by God. And so he begins to share with them as they have questions, he begins to share with them the gospel of Jesus. And Cornelius and his house were born again and Peter's heart is radically changed. His love for people grew that day. I think that's an experience that radically changed his life for the good and led him to be able to write these verses to the church and to you and I. You know, if we're being honest, there are some things in our life that we need to address, prejudice, divisions, whatever it may be, that we really need to address as well. That if we are going to have this new birth that has resulted in new love because of grace that's given to us, that we have to make certain that there is nothing stopping us from loving everyone all people like Jesus did. That requires us to break down some barriers. That requires us to deal with some hardness in our heart and to begin loving like Jesus did. All people, everyone. So let me give you one more thing and then we'll be done today. And that is this. This new birth because of love, because of grace requires now from us more responsibility. I love the last sentence in this chapter. Peter summarizes all of this and says, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. What a powerful statement that is. Peter is writing to believers that in many ways were divided, maybe for the same reasons Peter was at one point thinking, man, they're unclean and I'm clean, or I'm Jewish, they're not, I'm a believer, they're not, whatever it may have been. Uh, Jews and Gentiles were never connected and becoming connected was a challenge. It was a, a challenge for them to become one, for them to be unified. 
What would do that? What had the power to do that? And that is summed up in this final sentence, and that is Jesus and his message. The gospel is the only thing that has the power to change hearts and bring people together. And Peter's reminding them that they had heard the gospel proclaimed to them. They knew the truth of Jesus's love for them, and that should compel them, should make them more responsible to love one another. It was now time, he says, for the word of truth, the gospel, to bring them together. It really was their responsibility, their calling, because they had experienced grace, been born again, and were loving one another, but needed to love all the one another's, all completely. Edmund Clowney is a theologian, a writer, and he, I think he said it perfectly in some things we were looking at this week. And he said this, Christian love is born as Christians are born, through the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel has changed me, because I've understood the love of Christ, that's why I can love other people. That's why I can love you and you can love me, because the gospel has radically changed my life because God loved me so completely. In turn, I can learn and grow to love others just as completely. And I believe that the church is the perfect place for that to happen. It's the best place for us to express Christian love for one another. The church isn't perfect. (laughs) There's no doubt about that because we're not perfect. However, the church is clearly marked as the bride of Christ We are connected to him. We are his and he is ours. And so the church is called to be this image of Christ to the world around her. We are to shine the love of Christ from the church to the world around us. But that love first has to shine and draw us together to be one. See, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we're going to love the church, not the building, not the structures. We're going to love the church, the one another's the individuals that make up the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. And when we say we love the church, we'll support it, serve in it, represent the church in our daily lives. We will be the church. In our communicators meeting this week, we were thinking through and listening to some practical things that might come from that. And and we heard three that really resonated with me. I'm just going to share them with you quickly, and then we'll close out our time. But the the, the three in particular really helped uh, me to think about how we might accomplish loving one another as the church. Number one was attend church weekly. Just be there. Be a part of it. Don't miss. I, I love the old adage that some of the old preachers used to say, when you miss... You miss because you do. You miss. So attend weekly. The second thing that we were thinking through was about connecting with a small group. Why? Because you build relationships there. You learn to love each other there. You learn to do life with each other there. You find support and you find hope and encouragement when you're together in that way. So connecting with a small group. And then finally, it was the idea of finding a place to serve. Not just being one of those people who receives, 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 but someone who contributes and gives back and serves others. Because when you serve others, you learn to love others even more. So as we think through this command, and we think through what the challenge Peter is giving to us, it really comes down to what are we going to do with it? Maybe you're lonely right now. Maybe you're experiencing loneliness. Maybe you know somebody in the church that's been overwhelmed by loneliness. As a follower of Jesus, 
Why don't we connect with those folks? Why don't we connect with one another to build each other up, to love one another? And we were commanded to do that over and over in the New Testament, love one another. And the truth is, when we begin to love others like that, we find ourselves building relationships that help us through the good times, but most certainly through the difficult times of life. Pastor Andy Stanley made this statement, and it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to say it, but uh, I love the way he says it. He says, what if we just one another and one another better, right? What if we just one another and one another better? And if we put in that, what if we just loved one another better? We kind of took that idea and made a simple takeaway for us today, and that's this. One another someone this week. Someone you know right now needs you just to show some love. Countless ways to do that. I, I, I really hope you would take the time to do that. And in fact, maybe you're watching this right now and you're alone and you're saying, well, I need somebody to love me. Well, here's the good news. Uh, we have hosts right here on this online platform that are ready to talk to you. Somebody that will pray with you, someone that will encourage you, someone just listen, someone that answer a question. All you have to do is reach out. I know it may seem a little cliche, but we really do love you. We really are concerned about you and your life. So take a moment, and if you need to talk to somebody, do that right now. And church, one another someone this week. You'll be glad you did, but they will too, because his love will be expressed in ways that will build up and encourage and transform lives. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for some time in your word this morning. Thank you for some time that challenges us, maybe even in our own divisions or our own shortcomings of loving people like you. I pray, Lord, that your truth would penetrate our heart as followers of Jesus, chipping away the hard places or the indifferent places and molding us and shaping us to be those representatives that love like you do the world around us. And Lord, as we think about those who are around us this week, help us to one another them better. Give us some tangible ways that we can share your love and make a difference in their life and whatever they're dealing with. Thank you for dealing in my life and changing me. And thank you for giving me the awesome opportunity to love others like you do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.